Have the difficulties in this life ever led you to question Jesus? Have you ever asked the question, can I be sure of Jesus? Can I be sure of Jesus? Ever asked that question? If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 7. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 35 this morning. And in our passage for today, we are going to see the great John the Baptist brought to this point, brought to the brink, brought to the place where he even asked this of Jesus. In this passage, John sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus a very important question. Now, now remember, when we last left John, he was in prison in Luke chapter 3. When we discussed John's ministry, we said that in addition to him calling out the uh, sins of the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem and sinners in general who, who had come to hear his message of sin and repentance, John also calls out Herod the Tetrarch, son of Herod the Great, for the inappropriate relationship that he was having with his brother's wife and for all the evil things that he had done. And in Luke chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, we're told, But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by John for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. Now, I like how God highlights the fact that locking up John is a wicked thing. He says, in addition to the the inappropriate relationship with his brother's wife and all the evil that he had done, he added to those wicked acts by locking up John the Baptist. It is a wicked thing that he has done. This tyrant has locked up God's man, the messenger of the Messiah. When when you hear that, you might begin to think, well, surely God is going to right this wrong quickly, right? Possibly sending an angel to break him out. He's done that, right? He does that. Maybe by striking Herod dead. He does that as well at times. Well, we learn here in this text that, that while some time has passed since the events in Luke chapter 3, John is still locked up. He has not been set free. He's in jail. Nothing has happened to this wicked ruler. He just continues to go on reigning and prospering. And the great John the Baptist is feeling as if he is at the end of his rope. He's in a bad, bad way. And he is going to question Jesus on this. And Jesus is going to respond in a way that I hope and pray is of comfort for you today. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. This passage divides up nicely into four parts. First, I want you to notice John's questioning of Jesus in verses 18 through 20. Second, I want you to notice Jesus' response to John in verses 21 through 23. Then I want you to notice Jesus' vindication of John in verses 24 through 29. And then to end, I want you to see Jesus' condemnation of the religious leaders in verses 30 through 35. First notice John's questioning of Jesus. Look at verses 18 through 20. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. What things? 
probably the great teachings of the Lord Jesus, right? And, and, and most assuredly, His marvelous works, the great work that we discussed last week, right? When He, when he healed the centurion's servant and when He raises the widow's only son from death to life. Verse 18, the disciples of John reported all of these things to him, to John. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, that's to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So, so notice again here, John's in a low place. The champion of the wilderness has been brought low in a prison cell. And while he's hearing great reports about the person and work of Jesus, he's not feeling it personally. Anybody ever been there? How many of you have been there? You hear about the great work that, that Jesus is doing in the lives of others, and you look at your own life, and it's in the pits, and you question him. That's where John is. He hears of the great person and work of Jesus, but he's not feeling it because he's still in prison. And he asks, Jesus, was I right to be sure about you? Are you the one we're looking for? Or, or maybe my hope has been misplaced. Do we need to look for another? Boy, believers, this is real stuff right here, isn't it? From a real servant of God. It's one of the things I love about God's Word. It's true. It doesn't shy away from giving us all the hard, ugly, difficult details of what God's people have to endure. They suffer, and as a result, they doubt, and they question God's person and work and His will for their life. That's what John is doing here. He's been brought low. He's struggling with deep doubt. He has spent his whole ministry boldly doing what God has called for him to do, calling for Israel back, calling them back to the Lord, preparing the way for the coming of Jesus. He has boldly proclaimed that, that Christ is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Where has that landed him? In a cell. Wrongly imprisoned by one of the most wicked rulers in the land. And now he's struggling with doubt. Now I'll say this. While John is questioning Jesus, notice he does the right thing here by taking his concern directly to Jesus. That is always the right response. When you doubt Jesus, go to Jesus with your doubt. Look to him in his word for answers to the questions that you have. John sent his disciples to Jesus. They obey him and they ask Jesus the question he sends for them to ask word for word. And that's important that they do that because the answer that Jesus gives, John desperately needs to hear. Are you sure about Jesus? Do you really believe that he is who he claimed to be? Do you believe that he accomplished what God's word says he accomplished? Do you really believe you can base the whole hope of your life on him and that he will not let you down? Are you sure about Jesus? 
Or has something happened in your world that has caused you to wonder, caused you to doubt? Maybe that's where you are this morning, believers. Maybe you're asking this question. Where are you concerning Jesus? If you're struggling with doubt, where are you going with your doubt? Are you bringing your doubt about Jesus to Jesus? Are you seeking him, pursuing him, inquiring of him from his word? Are you being honest with God in your time alone with God about the doubts you have concerning him? Are you seeking counsel from good, godly people in his church? Are you, are you walking with the wise? Are you seeking their advice? I heard you to do all of these things. When in doubt about Jesus, go to Jesus with your doubt. Seek answers from his word. Seek answers from his church. Be honest, honest with him in your time alone with him and trust him. Trust him no matter what. Notice point number two. Jesus' answering of John. Look beginning in verse 20. Again, look at verse 20 again and then we'll move through it. And when the men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Look at this, I love this. In that hour... He healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Boy, John needed that, didn't he? Notice Jesus' response. John asked, Jesus, was, was I right to be sure about you? And notice that Jesus doesn't simply respond to John's question with words. He responds in action. He doesn't simply send John's disciples back to him with the message from him, but he sends him back to report on these wonderful works that he performed before them while they were with him. And he sends them back to remind John of the words about Christ from the Scripture, from the great prophet Isaiah. First he says, wait just a minute guys, stand here and watch. Luke says in that hour, he healed many. Healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who are blind, he bestowed sight. And then he tells them, go tell John, watch this, what you have seen and heard. Underline that, seen and heard. Then he starts quoting scripture. He quotes Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. Why? Because he knows John. He knows John's a Bible man. He knows that when he quotes Isaiah 61.1, that John's going to know that verse and the verses surrounding that verse. It's, it's a passage about the Messiah and what he's going to be like when he comes. In that passage, Isaiah says, the Messiah is coming to bring good news to the poor. Boy, John needed some good news, didn't he? He is low in a cell. How much does he need the good news of the message of the Messiah? And he quotes Isaiah 35.5, 
to remind John that the Messiah has come to open the eyes of the blind. Jesus has come to bring salvation. That message is for John. Jesus did not come with empty words. He came with God's words and he came and did marvelous works. You ever known someone who's all talk and no show? It's not true of Christ. He speaks wonderful words of life to John by reminding John of what God's word says about him and he does marvelous works in the presence of John's messengers for them to then go and share with John. Believers, do you know of someone who is struggling in their spiritual life, struggling with doubt? You know someone like that? Here's great application for you. Maybe you're wondering, I don't know what to do to help this person share God's word with them. Encourage them with the truths about who God is and what he's done from his word. Share with them the words of life from God's word. Remind them of God's wonderful works that he has done in saving us. The wonderful work he promises to do in us when we pursue godliness. And the wonderful work that he will do one day for us when he sends his son again. And when we're told when we see him we'll be like he is. That's what we're to do when we're struggling with doubt. That's what we're to do for others when they struggle with doubt. That's what John needed as well, and that's what Jesus gave him. That's why we can trust him. That's why John could trust him. That's why John was right to be sure about him. This is why we can trust him no matter what. No matter what you're going through, no matter the difficulties in this life, we can trust in Jesus no matter what. He is our great teacher. He is our guide for life. He is our Savior who has done great things for us like we've been singing this morning. He can be trusted no matter the circumstances. He has accomplished for us what God promised he would accomplish when he sent him. He has accomplished our salvation. He has come to open the eyes of the spiritually blind. He has come to bring life to the spiritually dead to seek and save the lost. He says, you were right to be sure of me, John. You're right to be sure of me, believers. Are you? Are you sure about Jesus? Are you trusting in him alone for your salvation? Again, no matter the circumstances you face in this life, these things I know to be true with all my heart from God's word. This is your truth for the week. When the storms of this life hit, Christ can be looked to exclusively, trusted in completely and followed wholeheartedly. True. Next point. We've discussed John's questioning of Jesus and Jesus' answering of John. Now notice Jesus' vindication of John. Look at verses 24 through 28. When John's messengers had gone... Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. 
This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. That's taken from Malachi 3.1, by the way. Verse 28. I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So, so Jesus gives high praise to John here, but notice when he does it. This is very interesting. Look at, look at the beginning of verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, when, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus then begins to speak to the crowd concerning John. Isn't that interesting? He brags on John after John's messengers leave, and as, as far as we know, John never hears about it. Sometimes we're left to question whether our service for the Lord is pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes we don't get the answers we want right away and the the feedback that we seek. How do we know that our service for God is pleasing to Him? Look at John's ministry here. The Lord gives us insight into the the type of service that is pleasing to Him. While, While John doesn't receive this feedback, we know from the Lord's words that John is on the right track. We learn here that God doesn't want a reed shaken by the wind. He doesn't want us to be something flimsy and uncertain in our stance for Him. He doesn't want us to be compromisers when it comes to the core teachings of the Christian faith. He wants us to stand strong no matter what the world says. He wants us to stand strong and unwavering in our resolve. He wants us to be unapologetically but lovingly biblical. He doesn't call for us to be impressive in our dress and looks and and have a certain status. John certainly didn't. He wasn't impressive in his looks. He tells us it doesn't matter your background. You don't have to be from the king's court to serve the king of kings. Often he calls for the opposite. That's the story of John the Baptist What pleases Christ is for us to be faithful and humble servants of His. John was. Which is why Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. We, of course, know one who makes himself the least, who is greater than John. John tells us he's greater, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. But here, Jesus gives us insight into the type of service that pleases him. The one who is the greatest is the least. And he, his message is, is not for John's messengers to take back to John. His message here is for these followers of John who will go after him. He is calling for humble, selfless servants like John. And get this, believers, this is actually what we must become even to enter into God's kingdom. Do you realize that? We must land in this place where we come to the end of ourselves. We must realize that we have nothing, are nothing, can do nothing on our own and are in complete need of Christ for a right standing with God and we must look to Him and trust in Him alone for our salvation. That is the only way for us to enter into God's kingdom. 
Those who do, we learn here, are greater still. MacArthur said this when commenting on this verse. Look at this up on the screen. John was greater than the Old Testament prophets because he actually saw with his eyes and personally participated in the fulfillment of what they only prophesied. But all believers after the cross are greater still because they participate in the full understanding and experience of something John merely foresaw in a shadowy form, the actual atoning work of Christ. Jesus appeals to John's followers here and and admirers in the crowd after John's messengers had left. And he says, who are you going to see when you went to go see John in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind, someone flimsy and uncertain in their stance for God, one who compromises on the truth? That's certainly not John. A man wearing fine clothes? That's not John, just read about him. One from an impressive family, a royal in the king's court, nope. How about a prophet? Jesus goes, you don't know the half of it. Moses is not a greater prophet than he. Elijah is not. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. John is a prophet that the other prophets wrote about. They looked forward to him coming. They told of his coming. Malachi, we just were given that verse of scripture there in Malachi. They, they, many of the, the other great prophets, they, they prophesied about John's greatness and how he would prepare the way for the great one. When Jesus says that about John, we're told that many in the crowd loved it because they loved John. Notice what they say. Look at verse 29. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, I love how they throw that in, right? Tax collectors and sinners have been transformed. They repented of their sin. They were looking to Jesus. There's a contrast being made between them and the religious leaders. That's meant to sting a bit. They declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. While John's followers understand that John is not favored by the political and religious leaders of the day, neither were they. That's the reason why John is sitting in a cell in chains. They hear the Lord's approval of him and are pleased with that, and they declare that God is just. They say, Jesus, you are right in your approval of John. He is a great man, a a man of integrity. He is fearless, unshaking, bold. He is the one who tells us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. He opposes tyrants. He is clearly God's man. Jesus, what you have said about him is right. Jesus' message here, it, it vindicates John, and it's for John's followers to remind them that, that they were right to respond to John's message of repentance. Notice we're told that they are baptized by John. Remember what we're told of John's baptism? What is it? A baptism of what? Repentance. This tells us something about these tax collectors and sinners. They had repented of their sins and they were looking to the Messiah to come. It also tells us something about the religious leaders as well because they had not. They had not repented. 
They were not looking to Christ. So Jesus' message to John by way of his messengers is, you were right to look to me and you were right to trust in me. And his message to John's followers is, you were right to look to John and follow him. Jesus vindicates John here by letting his followers know that John may be despised by the religious leaders of his day, but John, in my eyes, Jesus says, is the true religious leader in Israel. He may be locked up by Herod, but Herod is one day going to stand before me in judgment. He was right to look to me, and you were right to look to him. Where do you go today for vindication? Who do you look to when it comes to the Christian life that you're living? You look to the world for approval? Man, many believers do. Think about what John would have concluded about the success of his ministry if he would have based that upon what Herod thought. Seriously. No, we don't go to the world for approval. We, we learn from John, once again, we're to look to the Lord for favor, look to Him for approval, look to Him for vindication, and also know that if we are of the world, the world would love us as its own. But we are not to be of the world, right, believers? We're to be Christ followers. Therefore, Jesus says, the world will hate you. Why? Because it hated me. We are faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is going to push back against that because the world is set against our Lord. Our vindication is to come from the Lord. What would Jesus say about you today if he was commenting on your spiritual life? That's a good question that we all need to ask ourselves Again and again and again because he's the one we're going to ultimately answer to. Not going to answer to me. I'm not going to answer to you. We're going to answer to him. Last point. We have examined John's questioning of Jesus. Jesus' answering of John and Jesus' vindication of John. Now let's end with Jesus' condemnation of the religious leaders. Look at verses 30 through 35. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Underline that. Not a sadder statement in Scripture. The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, the religious leaders? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. You say to him, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say to him, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Notice the contrast here. We've already learned about John the Baptist and his disciples. What type of people they were. Jesus says of John the Baptist, no one greater born of women. 
He speaks to the followers of John, those tax collectors and sinners baptized with the baptism of repentance and lets them know they were right to follow John. They were right to repent. And they're right now to look to and follow Jesus in faith. He's letting them know you are right to repent. Follow John. You are right to look to me. Follow me in faith. Notice the contrast here in verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers... The ones who should have known better, the ones who should have followed John in repentance, who should have been looking to Jesus in faith, they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Sad. What's the purpose of God? Luke answers it for us. He says, having not been baptized by John, Now, don't get confused here. He's not saying the purpose of God is the ritual of water baptism. Think about John's baptism. It was a baptism of what? Repentance. The purpose of God was for them to repent of their sin and believe on Christ. Jesus' words here are not about ritual. They're about repentance and relationship. It's key. Have you repented of your sin? Have you placed your your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation? Listen, if not, this can be said of you as well. The purpose of God is for us to repent and believe on Christ. That is why God sent John. That is why God sent his son. The religious leaders, those who spent their days in the synagogue, in the word of God, they completely missed this. And sadly, many in the church do as well. Listen, some think because they grew up in the church and never left, if they're being honest, they will say, you know what, I've never really strayed. What's there to repent of? I'm here week in and week out with my family. I've heard these words. And words like it, I believe those words. I've always believed them. I don't have anything to repent of. You don't believe people think in this way? I've heard these words. These very words. They're being honest. They believe they've earned a place at the table in God's kingdom. Sadly, they've never had their eyes open to the inward condition of their fallen condition and the heinousness of the sin of pride and and self-righteousness. They have failed to see the inward condition of their heart and they are solely reliant upon their outward acts of religious devotion. Listen to what God says about these people. They have rejected the purpose of God for themselves. That's where these religious leaders are. They have rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Jesus says, verse 31, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, the religious leaders? And what are they like? Verse 32, They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. I read where kids in the marketplace at this time, like they do in our day, they would would play and they would mimic the activity of the adults. If they saw a wedding celebration, they they would mimic that. That's what Jesus is 
referring to here when he talks about the playing of the flute, which was often done during wedding celebrations. If they saw a funeral procession like the one we looked at last week when we looked at the funeral in in the town called Nain, they would mimic that. That's what Jesus is referring to when he mentions the, the singing of a dirge and weeping. Jesus is using this illustration of children in the marketplace refusing to play no matter the game. You ever seen a child do that? Doesn't matter if the game is fun or not, if it's, if it's serious or lighthearted, some kids will just sit on the side and just shake their head. They're not going to play. That's what these religious leaders were like, Jesus says. It didn't matter if one was coming in a somber and serious tone with the message of sin and repentance or one was coming with a delightful celebratory message, a message of forgiveness and restoration. They weren't playing along. Jesus says, John has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus says, you don't like John, you don't like me, you've rejected us both. And that's foolish because repentance of sin and faith in Christ is the purpose of God for you. They rejected the purpose of God for their lives. Notice one final contrast between those who have rejected John and rejected Jesus and those who are followers of John and now followers of Jesus. He says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Godly wisdom can simply be defined as living life God's way. Luke shows that the ways of the religious leaders are shown to be foolish because they have rejected both John and Jesus and have rejected the purpose of God for themselves. In contrast to that, the tax collectors and sinners in this passage who are gathered around Jesus have shown themselves to be wise by repenting of their sin and following John's message of repentance and looking to Jesus in faith and believing on him. They have accepted God's purpose for their life, repenting of sin and placing their faith in Christ alone. We said at the beginning of this message that God's man, John, was struggling in a cell. He wanted to know from Jesus, was I right about you? Was it right for me to look to you, point to you, and follow you? The followers of John were now followers of Jesus, were being criticized by the religious leaders of their day for following John and for following Jesus. Jesus tells John, Jesus tells them, Jesus tells us, believers, it is right for you to look to me and follow me. It is right for you to forsake your sin and place your faith alone in me alone for salvation. That is the purpose of God. For your life. If you're here this morning, you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. I urge you today do not ignore Him, do not be indifferent toward Him, do not reject Him. Look to Him, believe on Him, trust in Him, faithfully follow Him. Let's pray.